This is the Turn on the Jets podcast. 45 yards rushing on the drive. Here's a cutback for the touchdown for Crowell. And now, here's your host, Joe Caparoso. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Turn on the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Joe Caparoso, owner of TurnOnTheJets.com. This week, we're going to be joined by Brian Bassett, who we talked to previously uh, on this pod feed, and he is uh, the previous uh, head of the Jets blog and one of the best Jets podcasters of the past few years coming out of retirement to join Turn on the Jets Digital with a new show that we're going to be hosting on the Play Like a Jet feed. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. And then we're going to rant and rave about the Jets' loss to the Cleveland Browns for about 30 minutes. Really good in-depth conversation about where the team stands at this point of the season. Before we jump into the conversation, I want to remind you guys this podcast is brought to you by two different sponsors, both of which have events for the Jets' next game. First off, if you are going to Jets Jacksonville down in Florida, go to gtepresents.com, buy tickets to their tailgate party. Uh, Fireman Ed will be in attendance. They'll be giving away memorabilia. There's an open bar, food, best tailgate party possible if you're going to go out there. So check out gtepresents.com and then click on their info for Jets vs. Jaguars. If you're going to be here in New Jersey, come on out to Willie McBride's on 6th and Grand in Hoboken. We're going to be hosting another watch party out in their back room. Uh, and then we'll be recording a post-game podcast after myself, Connor Rogers, Greg Armstrong, Clayton Smarzlock, and a few others will be in attendance. So come hang out, drink some beers, eat some food, uh, and we'll talk some Jets. Those are our two sponsors for this week's pod. Again, that's gtepresents.com and Willie McBride's in Hoboken, New Jersey on 6th and Grand. We're now going to jump into our conversation with Brian Bassett. I think considering that my son is a week old and the amount of sleep I had in the past week, I am able to stay uh, pretty with it for the entire half after, entire half hour. So you guys let me know. Uh, and here's our conversation with Brian, who is now going to have a new show on the Turn on the Jets digital network, which already has an episode out. Brian Bassett, thank you for joining us. Can't stop, won't stop. That's, hey, that's, that's what we're feeling over here. And it's, it's been great to you know see all the excitement and have you sort of back in the mix, particularly now. Uh, with Sam Darnold in the fold, and there was some excitement about this season when we had yeah. a new what podcast. what happened? Some of that has cooled off after what happened Thursday. But before we get into talking about what happened on Thursday, why don't you give all of us uh, sort of a quick overview of what to look out for the rest of the year? Yeah, so um, in short, I enjoy podcasting a lot, and the thing that I loved writing, but I really enjoy podcasting, and the, and the big thing the reason that I enjoy podcasting is because there's almost no editing or going back over. Not to say that there's a lot of production work and your team does a lot of great production work, but you, you can obsess over words and go back over paragraphs and sentences a hundred times. Like in podcasting, pretty much once the words are out, they're out, right? And so, yes, you can clean up some things, but for the most part, it's nice in that as a content creator – it's a very condensed format in terms of getting out thoughts. Um, and it's, and it's tricky and it's hard and it's challenging in, in that way too. Um, so, so one of the things I guess in my exile, uh, really enjoyed and appreciated how much fun that was and kind of that format and kind of just from a, since time is a commodity, a real commodity now as a, you know, a family man, three kids working in a, you know, small quickly growing business, kind of tech business, um, you know, doing board work for nonprofits, you know, all the things that life takes on as you kind of, you know, become middle-aged man. Uh, I really missed the opportunity to 
get the word out there. So, so living in Virginia, living in Richmond, Virginia, I, I met two guys while I was down here years ago. And as other Jets fans, we started to, um, you know, gravitate towards each other. There's, there's a good number of Jets fans down here in Virginia, but, um, so we would, we would often go out to games together to watch at bars, you know, around town. And, uh, and so we would go, so Travis, uh, is, uh, is a local, he was a local chef here in Richmond and he's been kind of wooed back to the Appalachian mountains kind of near, near his, uh, his birth, uh, his, where he was born. And so he's, he's opening some really awesome, fantastic, very cool restaurants down, uh, down kind of on the Virginia, Tennessee border. So he moved away. Uh, one time we were just getting together. It was like around the draft a couple of years ago. And so the three of us are having lunch and Travis is like, Hey, I'm, this is a big thing for me. I'm really excited about it, but I'm going to move away. And I was like, Oh, and then Josh, we were sitting there with Josh, this other guy who's on the podcast. And he was, a uh, like a pastor at a church around town, like an associate pastor or whatever. And so he's from Connecticut. And so he said, Oh, well, I have some news too. Like I've gotten a big promotion at a different organization back, uh, back kind of in, um, in Connecticut, kind of like uh, Bridgeport, New Haven area. Uh, so he's like, this is a big opportunity for me. So I'm like, great. So you guys are both leaving me here alone and I don't have anybody to talk about the Jets with anymore. So, so the, so the podcast, it's kind of something where, you know, we're texting all the time. So the thought was, Hey, let's these friends, since that is such a big part, I think of having that rapport, as you know, Joe, um, having that rapport, we thought, well, this will be fun. And while they've done some podcasting, so it's going to be bumpy, but I think the, the, but it's going to be fun and it'll be real because we know each other. So the hope is over the course of the season, we'll come, we'll, you know, get on the couch as it were. Uh, we'll definitely talk about the team a lot, kind of our impressions of the game of the team. We're definitely going to have a couple running segments. We've already, you know, tried out a couple and I think, uh, Jets fan and three emojis and, this week in Darren Lee will <laughs> will probably continue on for the foreseeable future, but we'll try a couple other things. I mean, you know, it's easy to go through and just kind of talk about the game, talk about the offense, talk about the defense, but we're gonna try and keep it more, you know, if you were in a bar with your friends just laughing about, you know, your team, what what would you talk about? So that's kind of the approach, uh, and and it's exciting. And we'll we'll have guests on too. We'll figure that out. Corey has already uh, volunteered to jump in time and again so i'm very excited to have Corey on my podcast that'll be that'll be fun but yeah it's uh we'll do it for the course of the season we'll see how it goes and you know we'll we'll reassess uh after the season but uh, the plan is we'll be doing it every week great uh we're uh we're definitely looking forward to that uh rolling out i think there's not going to be a shortage uh of things to talk about this year just in already <laughs> no. seeing what a roller coaster the these first three weeks have been um Let's shift our focus to what happened Thursday night. Recording this Saturday morning, Jets start out one and two, uh, one and zero with that massive win over Detroit. They got everybody maybe just a little bit too excited. Uh, lose an ugly game at home to Miami, where they probably had a chance to win that game. They certainly weren't run off the field, but made just so many dumb mistakes that uh, they end up losing twenty to twelve. And then we get the Cleveland game, where they jump out to a fourteen nothing lead. Uh, we know Thursday night football is ugly and sloppy, so at that point it was almost like let's just find a way to get out of here with a win no matter how it's done, particularly mm-hmm. with how Sam Darnold was playing. Unfortunately, that's how the coaching staff thought of the game and basically went into a shell. Uh, Tyrod Taylor gets knocked out. Baker Mayfield comes in. 
lights up the Jets' defense. Cleveland goes on to win 21-17. And what was also really Sam Darnold's first start that he struggled a lot. I don't really buy into him uh, playing all that bad against Miami. I thought he actually played pretty well outside of a couple of mm-hmm. plays and really wasn't given any help. Cleveland, he clearly didn't have it. He looked a little rattled by the pass rush, uh, was a little too locked on to Quincy Inouye, uh, and had a, you know, a bad interception on that final drive when the Jets had a chance uh, to take the lead. Now, Donald also wasn't given much support. I think Jeremy Bates called a confusing and inconsistent game and is getting a lot of wrath for it, rightly so. Uh, Robbie Anderson had his weekly fumble, again, that set up <laughs> points for Cleveland. Uh, and really, there was just not much help given. It, it was kind of crazy. Uh, when a- Anderson fumbles the ball, and I guess he hurt his nose or something, and he's out. And you look, the Jets are rolling out these four wide looks with Jordan Leggett and Chris Herndon. Uh, and mm-hmm. Pryor, who is basically walking through his routes at this point. And uh, it's, it was a tough situation for Donald, never mind against Cleveland's front seven going against the Jets' offensive line. So needless to say, uh, the Jets' fan base has not handled this loss well. I've seen everything from Sam Darnold being a bust to everybody on the coaching staff needs to go to Mike McCagnin needs to go to this being one of the worst losses in Jets history, which I don't agree with at all. I think people need to look at the season in a vacuum. Uh, But look, losing in prime time to Cleveland to break that streak, I I get why it's particularly painful uh, for Jet fans. And there's a lot of talk around this team about the culture changing, and I kind of wonder if it's time to maybe talk about it less and actually just change the culture so it doesn't need to be yeah. talked about as much as this team had, what, two or three personal fouls again, tons of penalties that gave Cleveland yeah. second opportunities. They're just – I don't know how to put this in any more of a creative way. They're just a dumb football team. Uh, and it's, They've been a dumb football team for multiple years, no matter what players are cycled through, and that's on the coaching staff. Mm-hmm. What were yeah. your reactions to that? Everything mm-hmm. we saw on Thursday. I mean, I think you you ran through it well, and so I think uh, a couple things came to mind. So I'll kind of pick them out, and then we can dissect them as as you want. But you know, one thing that I've I've heard people talk about, and I and I I very much uh, agree with, is this idea that Cleveland, yes, Cleveland got their first week in week three against the Jets, but if you look at their first two games, you know. Oh, a, a tie to Pittsburgh, one of the you know most prolific offenses in the league right now, and a uh, loss to to the Saints. You know, if it wasn't for their kicker, you know, the, the argument can be made that if it wasn't for their their kicker the first two weeks, they could have been two and zero coming into that game. Um, and I think that's a valid argument. And so, like as football so often does. It always comes down to a few plays. Now the coaches will say like, "Oh, it's a team effort. Every play counts." You know, da 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 da. But it always comes down to a couple plays, a couple missed kicks, a couple bad pass interferences. You know, a third down conversion. Uh, you know, those kinds of things are like, you know, are those plays maybe more important than others because it's a momentum swing and you know. And so I think over the course of the game, uh, the the defensive line. I mean, they were getting. And, and linebackers are getting great pressure on Tyrod Taylor. I mean, obviously Tyrod Taylor was playing concussed for a little bit of time. I mean, that end zone throw, like to the back corner, like just, you know, you're like that, that doesn't happen if he's not fighting a concussion right now. Um, and so, so there were some things where, you know, if Tyrod stays in the game, the entire game, the Jets win, but that's not really fair either. And when, so when Baker came in, it just breathed that life into the team. And I'm not 
you know, blaming it or whatever, but that two point conversion play, basically it was like, okay, this is, this is moving and the, the, everything's changing quickly. And, and, and basically the jets just didn't have an answer for, for Mayfield, uh, which is troubling and, and right to your point, um, you know, the penalties, I mean, Tremaine Johnson could not get out of his way with, you know, the penalty in the second half. And then, you know, he hits, I guess, did he, was it, what did he do? Like he hit Baker Mayfield in the head. He hit, I think he hit, I think his hit is what actually really knocked Tyrod out. He swung his arm and hit him in the head two plays after getting, a drive extending personal foul. Which yeah, yes. Right. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And so, so there was just, there was just a number of things like that where you're like, okay, you can't have a personal foul. And then like two plays later, like basically, you know, flirt with that again. And so like that kind of stuff that's on the, to your point, like that, that's on the coaching staff. And so that, that was one of the things when I was watching the game, I was watching with a good friend who's a, who's a Browns fan. And I'm super happy for Browns fans that they, they got to win. I'm just sad that it came on our watch, but, um, but one of the things that I was saying is like, I'm, I'm just tired of every year talking about, yes, that culture change and like, we need to be more a disciplined team and we got to cut out on the penalties and, and all that sort of stuff. And it just continues to happen and continues to happen. You don't see the, the adjustment or the change. And so it's like when you have a suspect offensive line going against, you know, one of the, the youngest and most prolific pass rushers and a, you know, young up, you know, upstart secondary, you know, playing against a rookie quarterback in, in Sam Darnold, like you're going to have those kind of things happen. Um, but you're right. I mean, what was he like 15? Darnold was 15 for 31, um, you know, and two interceptions, no, no touchdowns. He just didn't have answers. And like, uh, yeah, the, he wasn't getting the help and they basically were just locking down a Nunwa and he couldn't respond other than throwing the ball to a Nunwa. Uh, so it was, it, yeah, it was definitely a troubling game. Um, on a number of fronts. But what I would say is like, I don't think it's as bad as everybody's making out to be. And I think that Cleveland is a better team than everybody's given credit for. And so when you think about like, I always love like the week one overreactions. And so like as a Jets fan, it was hard not to watch that game against the Lions and not be like, this is the most amazing team in the world. But like week one, there's so much intense pressure and kind of built up um anxiety and you know people are ah it's week one and they just think week one is going to define the rest of the season and it never does it never does um so so i think that was it was hard to set the expectations with that game in a primetime game and then have the next two i think it's been the high and then the two lows right yeah that's just what's been so hard yeah, absolutely. And I, I think this was a team that was always probably going to finish a bit under 500. That's what most of us expected. Mm-hmm. And they're playing like that so far. They're one and two. There'll be more peaks and valleys throughout this season. They'll probably win a game or two we don't expect them to. And they'll probably lose a game or two that we think they probably should win. So where they go from here uh, in Jacksonville in nine days, and Jacksonville is off to a great start at 2-0, really just kicked the crap out of New England last week. That's obviously not a favorable matchup for the Jets heading down there. They then come home for three straight games, including, I would say, two fairly winnable ones against uh, Indy and Denver, and they also have the Vikings, I think, before going back on the road for Chicago. Yep. I, I kind of thought this was a team that would start, I don't know, 3-5, and 4-4, and four, get to their bye week around 500, and then kind of tail off down the stretch. We're going to have to see how this team bounces back to that type of loss. Can Darnold, all I, again, like this year is primarily about Darnold's development. I'm most interested against Jacksonville. If he could go out 
and look a little more sort of composed and together in that game, even if the Jets are not able to win. And then offensively, it sounds kind of crazy, but this team like actually like really needs like Neil Sterling back because Donald seemed very comfortable <laughs> with him. Yeah, I can't watch you know Chris Herndon's repeated mental errors and Jordan Leg and do whatever oh. he does. And then you have to hope that whatever's going on with Robbie Anderson, and I don't know if he is mentally frustrated with Nuwa being the lead guy right now, or he just had a bad offseason you know, on top of everything else that happened. But the Jets need him to be the guy he was last year to complement Nuwa. But this offense is going to have a lot of problems. I mean, that puts if he's going to struggle like this, it puts too much on Pryor, who can't be anything more than a role player. My guess is now that he's healthy, we'll see Curse sort of be elevated into maybe being that secondary target if Pryor and Anderson keep making mistakes. But offensively, it's going to be a tough game for the Jets no matter what against Jacksonville. I think you just want to see Jeremy Bates with a little bit more of a a sensible (laughs) game plan and Darnold be just a little more composed and together. And this is going to be a thing with Darnold all year. Whenever he has a bad half, whenever he makes a bad throw, there's going to be a segment of Jet fans saying that they should have kept Teddy Bridgewater or Josh McCown and should be under center, which is completely illogical uh, because I still think the team will be one and two with either of those guys. And even if they may be two and one, who cares? I mean, again, I've said this a thousand times. I'd rather go six and 10 with Darnold learning this year than Mm -hmm. go eight and eight with Teddy Bridgewater. But I guess my main thought is is that are the Jets going to walk into a buzzsaw uh, no. against Jacksonville? Or do we think they're going to be able to, with 10 days rest, come out with some type of competitive game and Darnold will sort of rebalance his season a little bit? It's a great question. I think, And you mentioned earlier, and I, I forgot to, to mention, I, I think it's way too early to call Sam Darnold a bust. And, and if Sam Darnold is a bust, then like that – he was the chalkiest play at the third pick that you could have ever made. Like I, I wanted Baker Mayfield to fall to three. We talked about that months ago, but like obviously didn't work out that way, but to basically not take Sam Darm at three is a cataclysmic mistake. People are already talking about the giants, not taking, you know, um, Sam Darnold at two as a cataclysmic mistake. So, I don't know what other options you could have legitimately had at three. And so if, if he's a bust, like I will ride and die with Sam Darnold. And just because he's got the pedigree, he's super young, which means he's got a lot of time to learn and grow and get better. His ceiling is that much higher as a result. Um, but like, is he going to be Patrick Mahomes? No, I don't think he's going to be Patrick Mahomes, but certainly can he be a, Stafford, Philip Rivers, like that kind of level quarterback, which is a pretty good quarterback. Absolutely. Is he better than Blake Bortles? I think he's absolutely better than Blake Bortles. And so kind of, you know, spinning it to the, to the Jaguars game. I mean, Jaguars have played some great football and their defense is impressive. And right. The way they just stomped the Patriots was very uh, entertaining to watch, but you know, it's going to be a hard game. And I mean, when you look at that, when you look at that Jaguars offense, I mean, they are so talented at wide receiver. I know they lost Marquise Lee, but Keelan Cole was amazing. I don't know if you saw, I mean, everybody saw that catch from uh, the other, like from the, the Patriots game. But, um, you know, I think Cole is, is a special player. Didi Westbrook is, is a talented guy. They've got Austin Sferian Jenkins. Um, you know, who knows about the health of their running backs, but I mean, they are a talented skill position team around uh, Blake Bortles and they're able and he's able to 
take that to his advantage. I don't think Blake Bortles is the greatest quarterback, but I certainly think the talent has helped him. And so for the Jets, like even if they can score against that defense, which is <laughs> going to be really hard, like their secondary is going to be in trouble against that uh, that talented group. So I just I don't see this as uh, this game against the Jaguars coming up as an even close game. And it's just more about, right, how do they handle the adversity of a playing a really good team, you know, a team that played in the AFC Championship game last year, right? So um, I, I, I don't see – I just want to see them not crap the bed kind of a situation, right? And then as far as Robbie Anderson, you talk about Robbie Anderson, like I just don't know that he's that good. I, I, I really don't. Like when, when – um, uh, Bryce Petty was, you know, hucking the ball to him two years ago, just chucking it deep. I mean, that's great for Robbie Anderson, you know, a, basically a toothpick who can, you know, who's, I mean, how much does he weigh? Like 190 pounds, 190 so, pounds, six, so three, hundred. Yeah. Yeah. It's like all, all Bryce Petty would do is just chuck the ball deep. And he, I mean, and granted, I mean, Robbie Anderson is fast. He could, I mean, he's, you know, four, four, one 40, like upper percentile speed. Um, but what else can he do? Like he's a, he's a great deep threat. And so that worked with McCown too. But right now, I mean, a rookie quarterback isn't looking to throw the ball 40 yards down the field. It's just not what he's going to do. Not what he's comfortable doing. Can't see the whole field yet. So I just don't think that we're, we can wait on Robbie Anderson to be the savior of this team. I think Quincy and Unruh will lead the team in targets this year. Um, And I, I think you know, curse has, you know, he played well last season, you know, he's going to need, they're going to need to figure out ways to use both of those players because they're kind of, uh, I mean, Anunwa is a much more talented version of, of Jermaine curse, but they're going to have to find ways to use them complementarily, even if they're kind of used at the same level of depth. Um, and I just, I, I don't know, other than a couple big, you know, chunk plays a game, I really don't see Anderson having a the kind of impact that he's had on this team the last two years. And I don't think it has anything to do with his off the field stuff. I just think he's not that good of a like high volume, high target player. It feels like it honestly feels like with this new offense and with how this year started and it's early, this could, you know, completely pivot around and maybe he gets hot. He just doesn't feel like a second contract guy for this regime. If they stick no. around, it feels like a new law will be that guy and they'll go out and, you know, sort of handpick some other guys to put around Donald. And again, maybe that changes, but for now it just, it doesn't look like it's going to be it. You, you mentioned defensively with the secondary and I, I think it's been, it's again, it's early. I think it's been a fairly frustrating start for the Jets outside corners. Claiborne, even, I mean, screen to screen, mm-hmm. we know, we know, what he, we know what his issues right. are. But with Claiborne and Tremaine Johnson, I, you know, I think, you know, Claiborne was very good against Detroit, but has now had back-to-back weeks, which is killer yeah. penalties. And really, the Jets' defense got bailed out multiple times against Cleveland. I, I mean, Tyrod missed Callaway on what should have been a long touchdown. Uh, he missed the other one down in the red zone. Uh, Callaway had another drop where he beat Claiborne from Baker. Uh, we had the weird sort of non-pass interference call. Claiborne just did not look like he could compete on the outside against it, you know the Browns receivers, which is troubling. And Tremaine Johnson, he's left two of the three games with a concussion. Uh, he's had more notable penalties or big plays given up than anything else. And he's being paid a lot of money to really be one of the better corners in the league. And we haven't seen it yet. Corner is one of those positions and we can wrap up here kind of focusing on this defensively. I feel like corner is one of those positions along with a guy like Leonard Williams, where 
the Jet fans generally think it's better overall than it is, and something is said so many times, it's just assumed to be the reality. I, I hear it all the time. With, you know, with, well, they have one of the best groups of corners in the league. I, I'm not really sure that they do. I think there is some talent, and it looks good on paper. But when Buster Screen's playing 50 to 70 snaps a game, I'm not sure how that works out. And if Johnson and Claiborne are going to struggle, then that's a whole different layer of problems. And then with Leo Williams, it's always – well, he fell right into the Jets' lap. He was the best player in the draft. He He's an all-pro. He's definitely been a slam dunk. And it's like, is he? Yeah. So far in his career, he's been not as good as Muhammad Wilkerson and Sheldon Richardson were through this point in their career. He's good to very good. I would not say he's an all-pro because he hasn't been an all-pro yet. And he just disappears for certain games. And I don't think it's he's a low-effort guy like Wilkerson or anything. I think he, he does a lot of things that don't show up on the stat sheet. And he does deal with double teams. But guess what? He wasn't a second-round pick or even a 20th pick. He was the sixth pick in the draft. You're supposed to overcome double teams and make plays when the situation is not optimal if you're going to be an all-pro. So I just think – I look at this Jets defense, and I understand they were tired and had no support. Baker went right down the field on them to win the game. They ran the ball right down their throat with Carlos Hyde and won the game. If Leonard Williams and Darren Lee and all these other guys on this defense – are that good? That doesn't happen. Someone makes a big play late and they win the game. And it just hasn't happened with this Todd Bowles defense. And against Cleveland, it really wasn't all Baker on that final drive. It was Carlos Hyde just running yep. right down the middle on them. So, you know, with Williams, it, it's always a touchy subject with Jet fans. Good player. I'm not sure that he is a great player. And that, you know, kind of is what it is. You need good players, but. Uh, there's just not enough in that front seven overall week to week. Well, yeah, and I, I, I like I like Leonard Williams, but yeah, when you consider, I mean, Mil- Wilkerson was great on his own, and then they, you know, were decent to, to good, and then got better, you know, as his career progressed, but was was certainly great. Um, they added Richardson, and you know, the, it kind of became a multiplicative effect. And then they added uh, Williams, and it was right kind of again. You know, now we're kind of getting exponential in terms of what the talent on that line was. And so, you know, when I look at when I look at the you know the starters, like I, I think it's a pretty solid group all around. You know, Williams and McClendon and Shepard, and I mean, I thought Anderson had a pretty good game um, the other night. But you know, I, I was just curious. I wanted to look, and so I, I went to. Now this is only through two games, of course. But, you know, looking at the, like, football outsiders defensive line, like, in terms of their run blocking, like, the Jets are third in the league, like, in adjusted line yards, 3.17 yards. So, like, they're doing a good job of preventing the run. Um, But, you know, as is always the case, like, they they can stop the run, which is great, but they don't get to the quarterback. Now, they were getting to Tyrod early in the game, but then, you know, Baker came in and, and the, the script flipped and they just couldn't do anything about it. But, you know, their pass protection, their, their ability to get to the passer, you know, 20th in the league. They're only getting to the, the quarterback 5.5% of the time. And so, you know, you, that's always been like the Achilles heel of this Jets team is like they have to scheme pressure. They have to bring numbers to get pressure. They can't get kind of clean pressure just on, you know, by basically not blitzing or, you know, stunting or stemming or, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like, so it, like, I always think about it, like in, was it World War Two, like the Maginot line, right? Like, so the Maginot line was this line that the French made against the Germans because they said that we're never going to have World War One again. Well, guess what? 
the Germans just went right around the Maginot Line. They went up through Belgium and Netherlands and kind of came down and came into France and they invaded France anyway. And so like when I think about building a stout run blocking defensive line, like I think about the Maginot Line, it's like there's still other ways to get around this and accomplish the goals. And so when I look at this team, like they can't generally get enough pressure um, on paper to your point. I mean, great point. Like their, their secondary looks good on paper, but I mean, Morse Claiborne, come on, you know, Buster screen, like these, like the starters are kind of not like, you know, questionable. Tremaine Johnson has been up and down, but when they, when I think about this team next year, if they don't make massive investments into their cornerback again, like that's just a that's a missed opportunity. Whether it, whether it through free agency or whether the draft, like they have to. Because think about it this way: what happens if Tremaine Johnson gets injured? Now we're really in trouble, right, Joe? Good lord! I, can't, I mean, you're looking at an extended either Daryl Roberts reps or maybe a guy like Rashad Robinson when he comes back. I'd be more curious to see a guy like Derek Jones at least get a chance. But if mm-hmm. he gets hurt or any of those top three get hurt, uh, it's not. It's, it's going to be some rough patches, and the Jets still have to play Tom Brady twice, Aaron Rodgers, Deshaun mm-hmm. Watson. Uh, there's some more challenging pass offenses coming up. Minnesota with Cousins and Diggs oh, and Thielen. I think that's going to be, like you said, it's going to be a sore spot and something they have to. I mean, they have $279 billion of cap space next year, <laughs> as we always hear about. I think secondary right. is still something they got to invest in. I, I absolutely agree. I know they gave Tremaine Johnson a lot of money, and I'm glad for Tremaine Johnson, but like that is still an area that they need to build young talent and build veteran talent. Um, and uh, I mean, because I don't even know, you look at the offensive line stuff, like even if they spent on offensive line next year, like, what are they going to get? Like, will they get what they pay for? Probably not. So, I don't know. They they need to think about things. And so it's, yeah. I, to your point, like I would rather see Sam Darnold go six and ten this year and learn about the NFL and face an NFL pass rush and kind of get his feet under him um, than than let him sit. Like I, like I don't know what Arizona is doing. Right? You look at what Arizona is doing. Like why is Sam Bradford still playing? This is insane. Um, and, and they're like, we'll do it when the time's right. It's like, you use the opportunity to get your rookie quarterback experience so that you can go all in with your money and draft picks and whatever, like the Rams have done, um, you know, when they're still on that rookie contract on their, on their quarterback. Because once, once Russell Wilson gets his contract, you know, things start coming apart pretty quickly, right? Absolutely. And I think one of the, things that you you flag there is you know how much can they really help in the off the offensive line or even some of these other positions because a lot of times teams don't let their best players hit free agency they get franchise tagged or they get new contracts from their own team which is why sometimes it's a little concerning where everything is well they have the most cap space in the nfl well they have the most cap space in the nfl sometimes yeah. you can't spend all that money if you want to and you can't slap right. all your hole you can't plug all the holes through free agency and you know, they had the most cap space, mm-hmm. I think, in the NFL or among the top three this past offseason. And they, there was just certain guys that they tried to get and they didn't get. They added one player mm-hmm. to the offensive line who's okay, definitely an upgrade of what they had, but he's not, you know, a game changer, one of the best players in the league at his position. You know, they added mm-hmm. Tremaine Johnson. And really after that, you know, it was a lot more sort of, you know, mid-level uh, additions. You know, we know they tried to get Jarek McKinnon. They got outbid on him. We know they tried to get Weston Richburg. They didn't, you know, they didn't get him. So that, that happens in free agency. And guys like Demarcus Lawrence and Ezekiel Ansah just get franchise tags. So always counting on free agency um, is not the most prudent path. All right, Brian, 
hopefully the next time we talk and the next time we're recording <laughs> our respective podcasts, we have more positive vibes out there. Although it may, it may take a little bit after, after Jacksonville being the next game. Thank you for joining us. Everyone go give Brian a follow on Twitter at Brian underscore S uh, Bassett. Subscribe to the new podcast. Tell everyone where and the best way to uh, add it to their feed. Yeah, I think uh, so. You can just go to iTunes or you know all the places you go to get podcasts and type in you know play like a jet, and we're in the play like like a jet feed. I'm I'm not super up on this, so I think that's is that correct? This that is, is your that is correct. That, that is correct. Okay. Play like a jet so, feed. Yeah. So uh, so get the play like a jet feed, and then once you're on the play like a jet feed, there's lots of awesome content on there, of which you know we're we're going to be doing about one a week. So so check out that and we'll we'll be excited to add add listeners and get feedback from listeners in the coming weeks absolutely all right everybody thank you for listening we'll be back next week uh to preview jets jets first jags thank you again everyone for listening